Hello again, Coach on Your Shoulder listeners. I'm Michael Hayward. In part two of our conversation with Natalie Hauser of A Shawl Away, we're going to delve a little deeper into the differences between working with a therapist and working with an executive coach. You might be surprised to find out just how much there is in common between the two types of roles. If you want to dig deeper and have your own conversation with me, Natalie, Melissa, or any of the other coaches that have joined us on Coach on Your Shoulder, head over to coachonyourshoulder.ca for all the links you could ever need. Natalie, I'm really keen to continue the conversation. In the first part of our conversation, we really focused on the way you approach coaching and who might benefit from that. And we spent a little time thinking about what's behind the issue and how do we get to Mm -hmm. that. You talked about what's happening in other parts of your life and how does that affect you at work and vice versa. So what's your view on how your role as a coach differs from your role as a therapist? And should we think of these things as interchangeable, the same, or very different? Mm. So what I bring into it is it's more of a calibration. And I do that again in the therapy space or the coaching spaces. Mm -hmm. So what parts of you need to be adjusted and amplified and calibrated for this circumstance versus these? But they all get to be there at the same time because we don't want to separate anything. Because if one starts to get all ruckusy and noisy, it's important. We want to recognize that. We want to notice that. Right. There's a reason, again, it's getting loud. I don't want to take the battery out of your smoke alarm. I want you to understand what that alarm means when it goes off. And so you can decide if it's something to actually pay attention to. And again, like any change, any learning environment, we learn in a lot of different places. We can be thrown into the deep end of the water to learn how to swim, right? Well, the neurons that fire together, wire together. So we're going to have a relationship to that experience. Swimming is going to have a component of being thrown in there without support or any of that learning process, how we came to be where we are, right? And so maybe we're not getting our paperwork done because we had a tough childhood and that's whatever. It's a valid part. It's a part of ourselves that's part of that experience. And if we say that shouldn't be a problem anymore, or why is that such a big deal so long ago? It seems to be. So can we just make it not such a big deal anymore? If it's presenting itself over and over again, or you seem to think about this thing, or you're feeling a certain way here and it shouldn't be that way, or it should be a different way, that's what I can bring. I can create a, de- a little extra acreage around the problem, around the coaching and say, mm-hmm. here's this other additional perception that I have of this emotional component. I'm not going to do the therapy with you in this coaching place, but I understand how maybe it's impacting this moment or clouding your perception or what lenses you're looking at it through. Mm-hmm. In the world of coaching, a lot of coaches mm-hmm. swear by assessments of various kinds. They become certified in and advocates for assessments that do certain things. And horses for courses, there are certain assessments that work for certain types of roles. They're supposed to illuminate. And some assessments work well for individuals. Some assessments work well for teams. What's your view of assessments? And is this something that we can relate between the world of therapy and the world of coaching? Oh, for sure. The world of therapy is based in the medical model, which is diagnostic, which is assessing, using those cues, uh, looking at symptoms, and this is how we describe it, giving it a word and saying this is what it is. Same in the coaching space. The assessments are really helpful. We want to see something in this objective standpoint. We want to kind of take the person out of it, diffuse some of the defensivenesses, as well as validate and say, here, this is, here are your strengths. And then this is your areas of opportunity. And having that on paper can be very helpful. 
And if you're needing to come from that mindset, then we can call it whatever you want to, but if it, it gives you a name to work with it, that's great. I'm not, yeah, the paper assessments, that's not my skill set. I'm in the interpersonal. What you've been saying all along is we can see it, right? I can just see by the way you're moving, the way you're talking, all those things that what just stands out to me is this. And if mm -hmm. we need that assessment on paper or we need that validated on paper, great. I will help you find somebody who can do that for you. Mm -hmm. And then we can talk about how that might be helpful and how you want to apply that. Mm -hmm. But we already know what it all is. This is what I've figured out or my experience within the therapeutic realm or in the inter interpersonal realm and, and even in the coaching realm is we know exactly what we're doing. We know exactly why it's not okay. We just maybe don't know how to get from where we are to where we want to be. And having assessments can sometimes be helpful, but really we're just prolonging the experience. Let's just go there. Let's right. just assume that it's true and we can test it out in real time. Let's experiment, accept it, do it. What happens? I think having uh, clinical experience probably helps you accelerate your recognition of those things, right? That's something yes. you bring to the table, I would suspect. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. You, you know, there's a sense, especially when you're coaching a team, mm -hmm. that certain assessments, you know, I became enamored for a while of Myers-Briggs. It doesn't solve anything that couldn't have been figured out, but it saves cycles. Some of the assessments can get you through some of that stuff in a way that yeah. saves you time and gets your project done on time, right? Because they don't yeah. usually build in, get to know each other as part of a project plan in a corporate organization. Exactly, <clears throat> exactly. I'll give it a personal example of being on the receiving end of a leader who didn't necessarily do a, an assessment, but showed up and understood how to use his team. So I worked in an environment where we were peers and then this person got promoted and actually became a supervisor of mine, so started to run my team. And one of his first orders of business was to pull me into a meeting and say, all right, I need you to work with me because the impact you have on the team, personality, the energy you bring can derail or create cohesion. And I'm going to ask you to create cohesion. And if you feel like you need to derail it, bring it to me first. And it was like recognizing where the power or the influence was knowing me as a person, just working with me on the team is just, I need you on my side. And that was just one of his first orders of business is creating that of we're here together. I'm not just your manager and I see where your power is and I want this to stay. Mm -hmm. And it was really helpful. And I haven't forgotten that. We're also assessing all the time. We are beings that are looking for patterns and trying to make sense of the world. Yeah. And if we just use that knowledge and wisdom, we have it. This has come up a couple of times over our conversation is the concept of labeling. Assessments can put labels on things. I think you were saying in our first conversation, it helps you create a new vocabulary for something. It says you didn't have a word for this, but now you do. Why don't we dive a little bit deeper and find some examples that we can use to illustrate the advantage of putting a label on something. Not everybody loves that, but maybe there is some true yeah. advantage to it. Yeah, it's important. I, we're, I think we're seeing it in our society and our culture as a bigger space or just as a bigger experience is words matter now. What we're calling things matter. What people call us matters. Am I getting the label from the world? Am I being seen by the world in a way that I see myself? Does this fit to me too? And so even in this conversation with therapy and coaching, what we call it matters, how we're going to interact with it. If I say I'm going to go to therapy, there's this whole source of attachment to that expectation. There's a role of the therapist, there's a role of a client, all of that coach 
feels different. And that's what's pulled me into the realm of coaching is I wanted to expand my client experience. I wanted to bring the mental health or in the mediation, all of these different experiences I've had into this realm and open it up of this might be useful in these different places. I can't go in and do therapy in a corporate space, but coaching can be therapeutic mm-hmm. in that space. And again, if we can address something, if something's showing up in your professional world and we can call it this or the interpersonal conflict, we're recreating our dynamics and our systems all the time, wherever we are. So whatever we're labeling our coworkers and, and how we're perceiving it, if we're going in being like, Ooh, I hate this, I don't want to go here, or I didn't like the way I was treated or all of this other stuff, we're walking in with those thoughts and feelings. And so I want to know the story you have around this person, around your role, around how people are interacting with you, what you think is happening, how you're describing your experience in it. And again, mm-hmm. let's open that up to see if there might be something else going on, or let's just use a different word or describe it where you have some agency, where it doesn't feel happening to you. You don't feel victimized in it, but you can recognize that. And also there's other parts mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. It's very easy for labels to become misused or or mis and misconstrued the idea of putting labels on things or using a very specific set of words to describe things becomes artificial and can cause one person to elevate themselves relative to somebody else so how do you keep labels from becoming a barrier how do you keep them in that realm of this is helpful to communication this is helpful to relationship not something that winds up getting used as a weapon Yes, yes. I think that's really important is that we choose our language on purpose. I know what word I want to use. Sometimes I want to weaponize my word. Sometimes I want it to land or I want it to get to you in a certain way. And so again, it's can we expand within this realm of definitions? First and foremost, I want you to define that for me. Tell me what your definition of that is. What is your cultural reference for this word? And so it's, do you recognize that? As soon as you recognize there's a disconnect, right? A cultural reference, a nuance to it. That's where we can stop and make sure that we're defining these words. If it's emotionally charged for you, or if you're noticing something seems to be emotionally charged and reactionary, the word matters. That's where we stop and we want to get on the same page. That's where we want to have a discussion. Mm -hmm. Define that for you. When I use that word, what do you think I'm saying? And then checking that for self. How do you create Mm -hmm. space for that in a relationship? Especially you think about uh, the dynamics of the workplace, right? Mm -hmm. Water cooler conversation Mm -hmm. might be one thing. A meeting is a very different thing where if there are multiple people around and a person starts using labels or words in a way that you're not sure you like or appreciate or you've taken them out of context or vice versa. How do you, how do you have that conversation? How, what's a practical way to not ruffle everybody's feathers, but still get to a place where you can say, I think I heard you wrong. Yeah. If we go back to this idea of the coaching uh, experiences, first and foremost, we're going to model that in our interpersonal interaction. So you're going to get to experience what it's like for somebody to say, I don't think I understand what you mean. Or we're going to end up at some point, maybe having a disconnect, or I will perhaps intentionally elicit that response in you. I may use a word or I may show up in it or I may create an experience for you to get that emotional response so then we can work on it. Now, you know what that feels like. You have a sensory to it. I want 
to know what your sensory is. And a lack of sensory is just as important. If you go quiet and you're like, nothing, I have nothing, whew, this is a lot. There's stuff there that you can't or won't or don't know how to think and feel about it. Yeah. And the silence is just as important. So really the first and foremost is we're going to get it in this interaction and the coaching relationship. So then you know what it's like, then you can take it out and practice it. And you'll be able to practice it with me. You will say, is this what you meant? Or I don't know what you mean. And then I'll say, oh, let's have this great moment where it won't be damaging. Mm -hmm. We won't do it in a meeting. We, we'll get some confidence and competence in going through that, as well as if it goes horribly sideways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How does that feel? What do we do with that? How do we stay open when we need to defend or we're feeling offended? So how do I sit with my own offense? Because maybe I'm understanding it exactly as it's intended. Maybe I get it and I just don't agree with you and I don't like it. Quite often, and I'm thinking again about the relationship of therapy or, and therapist to coach and coaching. Mm -hmm. Somebody will talk to us as maybe it's easier to come to a coach or a therapist when you feel like you're victimized. You're at the short end of this stick right? You're the one getting whipped about. But does it happen that a person who feels like they might be a victim is unintentionally becoming a villain? Oh, quite how, often. How can you tell? How would you know? <laughs> how would the coach know or how would the coachee know? Let's go with either, but I would go with the client because <laughs> yeah. we're not in the meeting. Our client no, is. Not. So it's a yeah. passed down kind of thing where you know, to the boss, we feel like we're being victimized. And the way we process that is we might take that out on our customer or our colleague. Mm -hmm. And so now we are the villain and, and intentionally or not, we're both victim and villain practically in the same day or in the same yes. hour. <laughs> right. So maybe in the same exchange. <laughs> so, so I mean, how, in a pra in practical sense, if a person comes to you and say, oh, I feel like I'm not being well-treated, how do you work through that with somebody to help them also recognize that they're passing that behavior on in a, mm -hmm. an unproductive or damaging way? So again, there's that two things are true at the same time, right? I can feel victimized in this relationship. And then how, once I feel that, what I do with it, what this feeling informs my behavior to do or what I think I get to do. And so sometimes we may not recognize that. And it's really, uh, let's go back and that's that inquiry to elicit your own reasoning and find your values. If you're saying you're wanting this outcome, do your behaviors match that? You're walking around and everybody seems to be an asshole. If your experience over and over again is that, then maybe that's that, right? Mm -hmm. And again, this is that inquiry. I'm going to keep asking you questions to see if that's happening. Because even if we're outside of a coaching or a, a therapeutic experience or professional experience, when we help hear people tell their stories, we reach conclusions. If I, as a person, if I, Natalie, am hearing that, I'm like, what the hell? There's a part of me that goes, huh? That's where I start thinking it. That's where I'm like, oh, that's happening. I also think of the times where I've been that. I'm willing to bring myself into that. I also know that I have been a villain. There are people who really think that what I bring is amazing. And I have had great impact on people's lives. They tell me that. It's also my hubris and I can be all fantasy about it if I want to. I also know that I've really hurt people, right? I've done it when I've been hurting. I've done it, had no idea where I totally missed it and I neglected it or I just really biffed it. I missed mm. an opportunity. 
-hmm. or I thought something else was happening and I'm able to sit there with it. I know exactly when I'm a villain and I know exactly when I feel like I'm a victim. And when we're in one, let's find the example of the other so we can defuse the power in that one and start to get perspective and get out of the offense, get out of the personal while Mm -hmm. still recognizing the personal. Let's find other persons there. Can we understand why that is? That's where forgiveness comes in, right? Forgiveness isn't about the other person. It's about you not chewing on it anymore and you don't have to keep drinking the poison expecting the other person to die, right? So let's right. find that in you. You're like, I'm doing all the things. Great. Right. And that's, this is again where it comes in. This is that disposition. Is what you're doing perpetuating a dynamic? Are you doing more of it? Are you amplifying it? Or are we actually able to change it? We spend inordinate amounts of time struggling with stuff that we don't have to struggle with. Yeah. We're struggling because we're struggling. Yeah. Yeah. I want to shift just a little bit, but I think this is still in the realm of, is this therapy, is this coaching? Uh, The world of business is full of frameworks, how Mm -hmm. to step-by-step methodologies, things where, because we're trying to reproduce across large systems, right? So we get into this really systematic approach to everything we do at work, but that's not necessarily what coaching is about. And I don't think it's what therapy is about. It's not about here's the model, just do this and you'll be okay. Or is it, how do you approach the coaching challenge in particular when you're thinking systemic, systematic, or whatever the words need to be? So from a therapeutic standpoint, I take a system standpoint. So I look at the systems that we're all part of. So our culture, the world you're in, your socioeconomic status, your access to academics, your able-bodiedness, your health, all of those things are Mm -hmm. all these systems that you get to function in and, and where you are, as well as the internal family systems. What is their home of origin? What roles do you have? How do you perceive yourself? Who's your critic? Where do you find criticism internally? And just how does your internal structure work and what pulls you into what systems, right? Where mm-hmm. What performances are you pulled towards or what identities are you pulled towards? And each model of therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavior therapy, acceptance commitment therapy, it's all a framework in which we're perceiving the issues. So a lot of it is let's change the way we're thinking. Do we recognize that we're having that thought pattern? Let's detach from that thought pattern, get some perspective. Let's calm our nervous system so we can get our executive functioning on board so we can start making choices because we're not what we think and feel. We're just what we do. Mm -hmm. That is what we are, is what we're doing with what we're thinking and feeling. And we can think and feel a whole bunch of stuff that is just echoes of things that we've gathered along the way. It's just debris. It's movies we watch, shows we watch, things we thought, books we read, people we've interacted with, show, all this kind of stuff, made up crap, whatever we do, mm-hmm. right? But it's about finding the things that matter and what's important in this moment and not attaching to those other things, but just recognizing where our headspace is. If I'm in a framework and I'm sitting here and interacting with you and my thoughts and feelings tend to be really negative, I don't want to play, well, that tells you something about how you're relating to it. And it may not be so obvious to you. Mm. So it's how you're working within these different contexts and these different systems. And so if you find that you're applying the structure and it's still not landing for you, now we got to go a little bit deeper. And it might be a process-oriented thing. Mm-hmm. And let's like apply it. Let's call it something different. Are we getting hung up on the word? Because that word means something different. And so we're just going to start moving things around to see if we can... Again, where's that purchase? Mm -hmm. 
it depends, I think, is the answer to a lot of things when it comes to both therapy and coaching. It's much more about do I have the tools in my kit, right? There's that saying, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And Mm -hmm. we don't have that kind of a toolkit. And I think that my observation is that you have an enhanced toolkit. You've got the seven Mm -hmm. tier mechanics (laughs) toolbox going on there because there's a depth and a range there of uh, whether it's concepts, systems, assessments, models, frameworks, right? You've got more of them than any average coach brings to the table. And that that can be mm-hmm. helpful, right? Because then you're going to be able to pick the tool or technique that makes the most sense. So let's jump then to mm-hmm. the end. Now you're out of a job as a coach. Yep. What yep. does success look like? What gets you there? If you think about the the life cycle of a coaching engagement with you, how do you know when you got it? Yeah. Uh, when you don't have some, when you're kind of trying to come up with stuff to talk about. When you, maybe you're grasping at things or we're starting to focus on something else. When maybe you're not looking forward to the meeting for a different reason. (laughs) You're like, I don't want to talk about this stuff, but it's trying to come up with something or whatever, where you feel sustainable. Right. Um, And again, you're not thinking about me so much. You're just doing it. It's become second nature. You're not needing to be in that training wheel space anymore. So you've done your practice. You've put in your time. And now you feel like you've got the momentum. Natalie, I really appreciate you taking the time to share about your practice. I think there's a lot to be learned from your approach. And you can see why clients benefit from having that depth of experience as a therapist and bringing that to coaching in in the context of an everyday business kind of uh, world. Thanks so much for, for all of your insights and look forward to staying in touch and talking again in the future. Thank you, Michael. Really enjoyed this. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Good. Thank you. You've been listening to Coach on Your Shoulder. I'm Michael Hayward. Coach on Your Shoulder is a weekly podcast that you can subscribe to at all the finest podcast outlets. Coach on Your Shoulder is co-produced by Melissa Simmons of Luminology. If you have questions about finding a coach or how you can get the most of a coaching relationship, drop us a line. We always love to hear from listeners like you.